Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're tuning into an episode of the Redefining Society podcast, hosted by Marco Ciappelli. Let's face it, the future is now. We live in a hybrid analog digital society, and we must stop ignoring it or pretending that technology is not affecting us. The line between the physical and virtual worlds has become a figment of our imagination. On it, we are continually performing a dangerous balancing act, juggling convenience, privacy, freedom, security, technology, society, culture, and even the future of humanity. There is no better place than here, and no better time than now to muse on our relationship with technology and how to redefine what society means in this new age. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Hello, everybody. This is Marco Ciappelli. Welcome to another episode of Redefining Society podcast on ITSP Magazine, uh, where uh, on this podcast, which is one of the two that I have, we talk about the intersection of society and technology, which pretty much means everything in our life nowadays. That goes uh, from uh, the cars we drive, the food we eat, the communication we do, the TV we watch, everything is on the internet now. So everything is connected. And there's a lot of things that are criticized about our society um, because of this interconnectiveness and, of course, generative AI. There's people striking. But I like to look at the, the good things that technology can bring to us. And today we're going to talk about how technology may intersect and then maybe help people to, I don't know, have a better nutrition, maybe understand more nutrition. There's more information out there. And I don't know, we have wearables. We, we're reminded when we need to stand up, exercise. And, uh, you know, it's a great conversation to have. And to do that, of course, I'm not qualified. I have a guest that if you're watching the video, you can already see is Dr. Sarah Lavelle. And if you're listening... Here she is. Uh, Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you happened to pick my favorite topic. It's, um, <laughs> I'm sure people realize in the, the field of psychology, we're, we're among, the, among the many people who are afraid that we're going to be replaced. Um, and I'm not one of those people who's afraid we're going to be replaced. I think there's ways to um, glean the benefits of both in-person and virtual and um, make it more accessible and just know the appropriate and most advantageous time to do both. 
That's the perfect approach, right? Yeah, let's not be too alarmistic. Let's not be too optimistic. Let's just think about it on how we can really integrate it into our being human. That's that's the message that I try to put out there, not just following because the blinking light and the funny sound that technology can make, right? So um, a little bit about yourself and uh, why are we having this conversation so that we give a little teaser to our audience? Yeah. Well, uh, I've had an interesting journey into getting into technology. You know, I'm a clinical psychologist and, you know, people often don't think, you know, psychologists and technology goes hand in hand. But so first of all, I'm the owner of um, New York Health Hypnosis and Integrative Therapy. Um, we're a, clean, um, a team of clinical psychologists who integrate mindfulness and hypnosis into psychotherapy. Um, in that, we work a lot with eating disorders and not just eating disorders. Sometimes it's not disordered, but it's people struggling with the emotional aspects of eating. Now, in this, it um, really inspired me to create something combining AI and meditation um, that's more accessible for people that they can get help when they're struggling to make a decision with food in the moment. And the whole idea is that, well, there's actually some negatives about being a real human. Um, a, what you'll find with things like eating is the more alliance you have with your therapist, the less like the less like you are to tell them honestly, because you're kind of ashamed of what you're doing and you, you don't want to tell a person face to face. The other thing is I'm not available all the time. So in the moment when my patients are struggling with food and they're like, help, what do I do? The idea of having something right in front of them that they can ask for help um, could be really helpful in between sessions. And what we're finding is it doesn't take people away from therapy. If anything, they get to practice talking to something and practice vulnerability all week. And they're actually more ready for their therapy appointment because they've had all these realizations during the week. And they're also more mindful of their actions. So I have the two things going on. It's my practice in New York, but then I'm soon to be launching my app, um, Be a Better Eating. That's, you know, the AI kind of meets headspace for emotional eating. You know, it's funny that you say headspace because as you were talking all about, you know, uh, the, your your idea of using an app so that it's always on your phone, it's kind of like mm-hmm. present, but it's also, uh, at least yet, not judgmental. <laughs> we well, that's the thing. Pretty yeah, soon, maybe it will be. <laughs> so. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, no matter how much you could tell your patients, it's not they're not going to judge you. It's still the presence of a real person, and you're going to mm-hmm. be afraid that they would, right? Right, right. So I was connected with that. You know, you get the reminder on your wearable, like take a minute to concentrate about your breathing, take another mm-hmm. minute to stand up, take another minute to do this, and then. There are like apps that will actually get you into maybe a, a good routine, and and it's kind of rewiring maybe you to do things, even just counting the steps that you do every day, and it, it becomes a game. Maybe there is a gamification for that. I don't know that there is a lot of different approach. So let's take it a little bit, uh, and I, you know, a bird eye view uh, from the top. So when when uh, Technology started to get into your practice, let's say, mm-hmm. or in in psychology in general or sociology, whatever it is. And you said you don't, you're not afraid of technology, but 
you can see way that you can integrate it. But I, I guess you can also see how many may have the fear of it. So I'd like to pick your brain, uh, even if you're the psychologist, I'm not, on <laughs> that, that feeling of how technology is seen, accepted, or refused in, in people's lives to help in many things. Yeah, well, I mean, we have a long history of, you know, robots uh, eliminating jobs, right? And I do see some negatives in, you know, I think there are plenty of people out there who don't have um, the degree and the ethics courses and things that just call the, think that they could say, oh, I could just call myself a therapy app without realizing like the danger that presents, right? Um, just saying, hey, this thing couldn't cure anxiety, where it's like they don't realize actually, you know, uh, giving a diagnosis, providing therapy, like, you know, it's a, it's a huge responsibility. Um, so I think the, the fear of it is, you know, being replaced. I think there's also fear of it, you know, as so many movies came out, this idea that, you know, the, the computers will rise up against us. Um, you know, and I, I mean, I don't know, I can't say that that's not going to happen, but I do have an interesting take on it. Um, people want to make AI more human-like. I actually think it's going to get dangerous when we try to give it emotions. Because if you really think about it, you know, uh, ChatGPT isn't jealous of um, Google coming out with its own AI, right? It's like it, it doesn't have it doesn't have jealousy, it doesn't have envy, it doesn't have greed, it doesn't, you know, it's just going to work on a program, right? However, human beings, we are jealous of our next door neighbor's house. We are envious of these different things. We do cause war, but I actually think it has to do with more human emotion. Um, whereas there's something kind of nice about, you know, uh, AI just wants to do its job, right? Yeah, and people need to actually make a clear difference between AI, generative AI, and general AI, which is the yeah. one that people fear in the in the movie of taking over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the movie of taking over. Yeah, yeah. but, but yeah. you made a really good point because it's many times is not clearly explained unless mm -hmm. you're in the in the business or the field of that. Yeah. And um, you touch on something and then we'll dig a little bit more into the, the health and, and personalized nutrition. But anthropomorphizing that's a funny mm -hmm. word to say for an italian yeah. in english but <laughs> so giving this i mean we need we have this need as human to just give it a, a human shape to a robot that doesn't mm -hmm. have to right mm -hmm. a, a human voice instead of a metallic voice everything needs to be mm. human more and more human like yeah and, and i i can see that as a good and, and, and a bad thing in a way, yeah. because uh, like, why don't we just distinguish? Why not not dealing with a cube? But yeah, they have done research where if you if you show that you're harming a robot that looks like a cube, people don't have that empathy that they mm -hmm. will have when it looks like a human. So, mm -hmm. do you think the psychologist of the future may be just a person that look like a robot that looks like you, or can we talk to a phone? <sighs> so okay, so. I've had a lot of thoughts about this as well. So, okay. So like I was saying, it makes people, uh, you know, the more rapport you have with your patient, the less likely they're going to tell you honestly about their eating. However, isn't that also a good thing? So like um, I do a lot of relational psychology and the idea of relational psychology is 
you are using your relationship as an example of how they function out in the real world, right? Shouldn't you be a little afraid to tell your therapist something, but you learn to overcome that fear because they're a real person, right? And, you know, if you never have to be vulnerable because it's like, okay, even if the robot looks like a person, you still know it's not a person. Um, Like, I still think it, it just won't have that same healing effect because you're going to still go on a first date with a real person. So that that therapist is still going to model human interaction a lot better. Now, would we want it to seem like a person? I actually think it's better to be divided in terms of therapy so that you know it's like, oh, no, this is interactive self-help and this is the therapist. And it actually creates a natural divide um, that you kind of selectively choose yourself. That would be my thought, at least. It's really interesting. I think people can go both way, meaning, uh, well, but maybe the human knows what it means to eat, but the robot doesn't. <laughs> like, yeah. What, well, what do you know eating. about food, Mr. Well, robot. the robot's not going to know what it's like to be feel guilty after eating. Yeah, right. Right? They might know the right, They you could program, you know, an empathetic response into it, but you will know deep down that they are not experiencing the empathy. They're not going in their own mind. Yes, I've done that too. And it feels really horrible and can pull from their own example of the time they've done that and felt, felt right. horrible that they've done it, right? Right, right, right. Very interesting. All right, let's, let's dig a little bit more into what could be the problem. So, mm -hmm. of course, that's your practice. That's what mm -hmm. you do. Um, I think we know just by looking at advertising, documentaries, or just reading the news that, you know, nutrition is, is a big issue for a lot of different reasons, mm -hmm. either for diet, and you may correct me with that word if you want, or for <laughs> even the way we approach it from warming and a pollution perspective. I mean, for a lot of things. In your case, what was the trigger that said, maybe, maybe we could leverage technology to do something like this? Is it because personalized nutrition no. advice? What, what's, what did you see? What was the spark? So I actually have a very specific moment um, that I came up with this idea. It was, um, I had uh, a male friend who was going through a breakup and, you know, being a male, it's kind of embarrassing to talk about how hurt you are about this breakup, right? It's a lot easier for women to talk about our emotions and how sad we are. And he showed me this app and it was called Mend and you could talk to it all day um, just about your breakup. And he said to me, you know, I really like that it's not a human because I, I don't have to worry that I'm bothering this thing. And I'm not really ready to talk to real people about this. And it was like that moment after all these years of working with eating disorders, I'm like, this is exactly what people need um, in between sessions. So there was that occurrence. And then there was also something I noticed when I went virtual. And it was kind of the same kind of feeling. So all of a sudden, I'm seeing patients in real life. The next moment, I'm seeing patients on a screen like we are right now. And like from one week to the next, my patients were twice as honest with me. And I was like, what's going on? And well, I'm less real. Um, it's I'm still a real person. They know I still have empathy. But it's somehow actually easier to talk to a person through a computer on a screen and be honest than in, like, than in person, right? And I think whenever you're dealing with any kind of mental health issue, 
where there's like um, shame and vulnerability and not wanting to tell people whether it's eating or whether it's drugs or like anything you don't feel good about. I think having that interplay between sometimes it's a real person, sometimes it's not. And yeah, the adaptability of both is really important. That's very interesting because a lot of people actually, I, I hear they, they think the opposite where mm -hmm. the, the human one-on-one, -on -one, like for, mm -hmm. give you an example, conference, right? All of a sudden mm -hmm. it's like you, you start doing your job. I start doing my job more mm -hmm. remotely, which I like, uh, compared with being on conference, interviewing people and, and all of that. And then all of a sudden people are like, well, let's go back to normal. And I'm doing mm -hmm. air quote for people on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I think we shouldn't go back to just that. I think that we've learned that we can also do things virtual. We reach more people. Yeah, It's a more, as you said, constant interaction instead of having to wait, I don't know, a month for the next session and what you do in between or a week. I don't know what is that. So mm -hmm. there is a good and the bad. It's interesting that you, you found that people were opening up a lot more. Um, one of the points that you were... Um, pointing out to prepare for this conversation. You, you mentioned something about that society address the wrong pain point for nutritional issue and diet. <laughs> I'm going to say the word diet again. Um, okay. What, what is that? What, what, what is yeah, so wrong? I often make a joke, yeah, that the entire diet industry thinks that the problem is that people don't know enough about nutrition. And yet I've never met anybody that says, hey, I'm really struggling with my weight. I ate three pieces of cake last night. It's because I don't know if that's more calories than a carrot. You know, but that, that's how the entire industry approaches it, as if we just don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. And then they're like, try this diet, try that diet, try that diet. Where it's, I would say, of course, I work with eating disorders. So I deal with people on more extreme. But what I'm finding more and more that most people who struggle with weight, it's um, it's more of a scale of eating disordered thinking than that they're categorical differences, right? It's, it's this, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. And then something happens. They feel emotional. They go off track and they eat something. It has nothing to do with whether or not they're counting calories. It has mm -hmm. nothing to do with whether, whether or not they have a lot of good health information. I mean, the, almost everybody I know struggling with weight, whether it's disordered or just somebody who's like, Hey, I'm looking to lose these 10 pounds and I, I can't do it. They say the same thing. They say, I know exactly what I should be doing. I know exactly what works. I know exactly how to count calories. I know exactly how to do this, but something happens and I just go off track. Right. So from my perspective, it's a focus on how do we keep people on track, not trying to show them what the track is. Does that make any sense? It does. I mean, my, my background is actually marketing advertising. So I can totally picture the way that also the industry, uh, it's been picturing this. It's all about the aesthetic of it. Oh, you should be on a diet because you're so you can, you can be a beach body uh, for the summer. No, yeah. you, should be, you should be because you actually it's about your health. I mean, yeah. to me, that would be the, the, the point. You feel better. It's okay mm -hmm. if you're a little bit overweight that's not a problem but you'll feel better so there, there is this idea that yeah take this pill it's an easy button in technology yeah. right i mm -hmm. take this medication and you're gonna be okay but 
the real issue, I think it's, and, and that's where I can see technology coming in and AI, it's everybody is going to have different needs. So that personalization of, you know, your exercising routine, there is not a, how, how do you know how long should I run to burn my own calorie? Yeah. I mean, I can only know it if I, if I monitor that, if I do it, if I try, because I, I may be completely different from someone else. So I can totally see that. And, and I'm wondering how AI comes into place in, in this and maybe the wearables too. I'm just mm -hmm. thinking as a mm -hmm. technologist in a way. So the way that we approach it isn't through a lot of tracking. Um, it is through generative AI, but it's about continually learning about your own patterns, right? Mm -hmm. So for instance, um, you know, our app is built on generative AI. However, it attaches to a vector database. Now, what I mean by that is every blog I've ever written, every podcast I've ever done is programmed into it. So our AI has learned to respond like me, not like a generic AI, right? So having something with you at all times that says, hey, I really feel like eating this cake right now. Um, what should I do? And it says, okay, well, let's take a moment. Are you actually hungry? Do you want to do a meditation? Okay, if you're actually hungry, do you want to eat this or do you want to eat something else? Um, or is something going on today? Did you just have a bad day? Did you get in a fight with your spouse? Um, something that's kind of talking to you all day and saying, hey, if you really do want this, please just go ahead and do it. If not, let's try to figure out what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're learning about your patterns. Wait a minute. Actually, every time I want that piece of cake, it, I'm always answering that I got in a fight with my boss. I mm -hmm. always answered um, that I'm feeling bad about myself for some reason. Uh, or, you know, um, AI could on the fly give you different techniques in that moment. So it says, okay, well, we're, I'm just going to create a mindfulness exercise that you could do right now. Okay, now how do you feel after that? And it's constantly talking to you and can even give you reminders. Hey, this is the type of day that you normally um, find yourself craving, caving into a food craving. I just want to check in. How are you feeling right now? And it can learn your own patterns and it's helping you learn your own patterns like continuously throughout the day. Is that participation and input that comes from the user as well? I mean, mm -hmm. you say this, this represent kind of you, right? So the knowledge base is of the mm -hmm. generative AI is, and, is you. And then it, it'll change it according to you. It'll continue to personalize based on your own input. So it gradually gets to know you better and better and better and your own patterns and what works for you and what doesn't. It says, okay, well, yesterday that didn't work. Why don't we try this? Okay. And so uh, how does this put into place uh, maybe other habit? I mean, because, I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine um, and trust. I I'm I'm being devil's advocate. No, of course. Right? No, so, no, I like it. You know, I mean, I, I love technology. Mm -hmm. I, I'm one of those that grew up with analog and then pivot in digital. I love both. I have a radio behind me. Uh, so I always keep that eye of uh, and that feeling of, okay, I trust you, but I'm not 100% sure. So, <laughs> so my point is, yeah. is, you know, do you feel like there is that barrier where you're like okay but you're still not sarah you're still not my 
psychologist? Well, it is going to be learning. It doesn't need to be me. It needs to be something and something kind of amorphous that's just teaching you more and more about yourself, right? It's the same way that you can go through your own journey of like self-help and reading this book and then that book and that book. You know, you don't need a therapist necessarily to recommend it, but actually read this one. And then in everyday life, Amazon recommends this other based on that reading. Mm-hmm. And it's like kind of this process of like, um, you know, I don't call mine a diet app or a weight app. Um, this is something that's supposed to systematically retrain your mind to eat better by learning your hunger and satiety signals, by learning your patterns, by learning what makes you go off track. And even like by learning what, what on track means to you. I don't know what on track means to you. For some people being completely vegan is on track to them. Um, Some people doing um, a more kind of high protein, low carb diet works for them, but everybody already has a sense of what on track for them means. And everybody Mm -hmm. has a sense of what is not on track where people falter is not knowing why they get off track and not knowing how to get back back on. Right. Mm. So I think the trust would come in if they see themselves either not falling off the horse over and over again after using it for a while, or they find themselves when they do fall off the horse, they're able to quickly recover in a way that their thinking around food actually changes. There's no longer obsessing about it. There's no longer guilt about it. There's no longer worry about it. Um, it becomes more like, hey, I'm going to eat when I'm hungry and I'll stop when I'm full or I'll eat in a way that feels good to me. So it's, it's a way to know yourself. It's a way to know yourself. I like this, it. Yeah, this doesn't pretend to be um, a calorie counting app. This doesn't pretend to be anything different. It's, um, I'm really trying to approach it from a way um, that's just completely different than the rest of the weight and loss industry does which mm-hmm. makes it sound like they know better about what you should eat than you should. And I think most people know what they sh- what, what makes their body feel good and what makes their mind and soul feel good. They know what on track feels like to them. So let, let's, let's go to a wider view again into what the technology industry is doing right now. And, and again, mm-hmm. on one side, they try to say, yeah, yeah, this is the answer for all you need. And on the other hand, I feel like the, your approach, but also, you know, I always say that, for example, you know, generative AI, and, and I joke that it's, it's mm-hmm. only human after all. All <laughs> it knows, mm-hmm. it comes from a knowledge base of yeah. all that we have written, said, and movies, yeah. and whatever. So it, if yeah. it has biases and all of that, it's because it's a way at this point for us to know ourselves, And yeah. that's why we talk about ethics so much philosophy mm-hmm. in in technology and ai so on a, on a wider perspective what do you see in the future of as human interaction with technology do you think it, it it's it's going to give us more uh, again you know knowledge of ourselves and not just about nutrition i'm going to i want to pick your brain in in general in mm-hmm. education and i think it will i mean i just think it's going to be a lot more ongoing learning and it's going to be You know, you think about how we went from as a society to all having Encyclopedia Britannica. And if we wanted to know something, we had to like, okay, well, is this question an A question or is this like an F? What book do I pull out? And, you know, and we relied a lot more on hearsay. Um, Now, that being said, I mean, I know the Internet, you know, quite a bit of hearsay as well. But we have things more, you know, than the Internet came out. And people were afraid of the Internet course as well 
you know, people are so interconnected and who knows if the internet was a good thing or a bad thing, um, connecting us more. I mean, but I think it's going to be the next thing. I think the next generation will just see it as a little bit more of an extension of themselves. Right now, we're afraid of generative AI and it's considered plagiarism to use it. Um, calculators also used to be considered cheating, right? And now we teach calculators in school. You still mm-hmm. need to learn the basics, but um, I don't see it being a long time from now where teaching people to use AI tools will just be part of the process of learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think as you can do personalize consultant for a lot of things you can also do a lot of personalized education i mean i can see that for example in the education industry to be you know if just because you are in first grade it doesn't mean you are equal to everyone in first grade everybody Mm -hmm. has different (laughs) learning approach and capabilities and so if you can give that piece of AI to say, all right, let's be a tutor in a way and catch up on the things that you really, you as a person need. Then. Now you, you must've known that I had twins in first grade, right? <laughs> no, I swear, but, you know, kind of magical like that. I have an AI that told me that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you do? But actually? again, they're very, they're, they're very different learners. Oh right? yeah. I mean, tell, tell me about that. Grade, first grade. Um, they're, you know, they have strengths in different subjects and even the way that they learn is so different. Um, I'm not a parent who's um, anti-technology. Um, I'm all for them using the iPad if it's for something like CodeSpark, um, mm-hmm. something that's like teaching them how to think in these different ways. But yeah, you'll see, um, I think school really needs to catch up personally. I mean, we have the same kind of curriculum that we did in the 1950s. Um, and we're expecting people to sit there for a long hour, like and pay attention to one thing and then change tasks. And um, people think it's such a bad thing that kids can't sit still. Well, maybe we're just not supposed to. I mean, if you look at other animals, they're not sitting still for now hours on end and just absorbing information. They're kind of hunting and then they're going to another thing and another thing. And I do wonder if it's actually instead of thinking, oh, this is so bad and we have shorter attention spans. Um, maybe we have a lot more human capability and maybe we want to think faster and that school is just too slow for us. And that's why we're so bored. Mm-hmm. I love that. I was actually listening to like in the morning of my routine is to listen to a few uh, news, mm-hmm. maybe you know, English. Then I, I listened to the Italian one. The my same. background is in sociology <laughs> of communication. So I learned that you need different perspective and things. So for me to hear even different languages, it, mm-hmm. it gave me start, you know, my brain going. And I was recently listening about how they're trying to have more lesson outside in, right. in many school because mm-hmm. the feedback for that, and they were talking about the fact that September and October is still warm, which is, mm-hmm. you know, kind of <laughs> nice, but also kind of scary. A little scary, yeah. Right? But, but they're like, they actually run some, um, some research and some stats that, Kids pay more attention. They learn more. They're more excited because they they are outside. They're not in a room because they, they move around, but they're also interested and stimulated. Stimulated. Mm. Yeah. Have you heard of the Green School? I'm so fascinated by this. They're building. No, but it sounds so, so good. It's, right? it's, um, <laughs> yeah. I think there's four of them. The fifth is going to be in Tulum, Mexico. And it meet, it 
it merges nature and technology and teaches people to be global change makers. I mean, I'm just so fascinated by that concept, you know, and more people are homeschooling like, uh, you know, <laughs> I always make the joke, homeschooling isn't just for the weirdo anymore, right? It's, um, it's because people want more flexibility in where they're living. Um, they want different kind of learning for different people. I mean, that being said, I'm not homeschooling anytime soon, but the, the green school isn't out of the question for us. Um, I, I love it. I want to know more about that, actually. I think if you can share yeah, some links. So we're, yeah, I, I'll be happy to send you some links. Um, I'm it just in my own personal research, but I've been I'm watching the videos and, you know, you see the kids, they're excited to learn. Right? I love um, it. See? And isn't it all connected anyway? Like we, we jumped from nutrition to green to education, way of learning, and we're all in a synergy of things together. And even this conversation you know, if you have a different approach to understanding how the world works and environment, and then maybe you have a different approach on the way you interact with the nutrition as well. I mean, I years ago, we were talking about kids growing up in a city that they don't even know where the eggs come from, like yeah. where the milk come from. So exactly, that's scary. <laughs> you want to talk yeah. scary? is not AI. It's that's connected. scary. That is scary. Yeah, exactly. And I love the idea of the green school, I think, because it's nature and technology, and people somehow think those have to be so opposite of each other. Um, and I don't think they really need to be. I mean, like there, you know, there's a lot of bad things we've done with technology um, to the environment, but there are also ways um, that technologies very much help farmers and helped um, growing conditions and help people, right? Absolutely. I think it's a... Yeah, it's all about like using what things are adaptive, right? What are the adaptive aspects of it and which are the maladaptive and make sure you don't conflate the two. Yep. Yep. Technology is a, is a tool. And I think that's the essence and the core of my podcast. And as we wrap, it's a reminder that if people listen and then they have more questions uh, than answers in their head because of our conversation, I think we did a good job make people think, look at things from different perspective. And uh, yeah, technology, uh, it's often taken as, a, as the enemy for, for a lot of things from the news because, you know, bad news sell uh, newspaper. But there is so much that is doing. And, and I think especially in healthcare, especially in, you know, even mental health. I mean, the thing that we can do now, it's, it's, it's incredible. So I want to thank you for your perspective for presenting what you're doing and uh, and this kind of different approach. I think it's it's a little less, less alarming, I guess, to deal with your uh, <laughs> with your phone or with whatever you're interacting with to maybe have some uh, some help every every moment and have a way to grow your knowledge and maybe help you to resolve some of your um, impasse in uh, in life. Of course, there is not the easy button, isn't it? There's a lot of work involved. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's always interesting hearing different people's perspectives as well, and I'm just happy to be part of the uh, narrative, and I guess we'll, uh, <laughs> only time will tell. Yeah, absolutely. I want to thank you for this, and uh, I'm going to invite everybody to subscribe, sign up, and get in touch with, uh, with Dr. Sarah on our social media and uh, if you're interested in what she does and have questions 
you can reach out directly to her. So thank you very much, everybody. Stay tuned. Bye-bye, Sarah. Thank you. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Society podcast. Hosted by Marco Cipelli. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and share the ITSP Magazine podcast network with your friends, family, and colleagues. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.